Welcome back to the 12-sided guys. We have Matt playing Pine. Hi. Scott playing Roos. That's me. Jordan playing Ebby. Salutations. Sabrina playing Nari. Hey there. And me, Paul, playing High Adjudicator Trippin. They are the quietest opponent our players have ever faced, and yet also the moist annoying by far. The moist annoying. The moist yeah. annoying. <laughs> Very moist. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thanks to our new Discord server, we get to interact with our listeners even more. So go check it out. There's a link in the episode description. People are super excited about what's been happening in the podcast so far. And some of you have even let us know what you'd like to see as far as merch, which is awesome. But if you want to help us out, you can leave a five-star review and tell your family and friends about us. You can even become a patron by checking out patreon.com slash 12sidedguys. Tana recently became a patron, and now they have access to the wiki, maps, all of the bonus episodes, and character sheets. So Tana, thank you for becoming a patron, and thank you for introducing me to Mead. Anyway, if you ever got kicked out of town for pulling a rusty sword out of a pond, then this podcast is for you. It's the Crystal Codex, episode 64. Pulling the rusty sword also um, unleashed some crazy monster that dug a tunnel underneath the city. And then Gemma was like, I'll pull you out after you kill the monster. Yes. And also <laughs> all of a sudden, like yellow rabbits started spinning in circles and attacking you. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I believe they were called rabbites too. Yeah. Rabbites. So, I'm pretty sure that's the first game I remember, official game where Moogle was a thing. But it was a condition. I kept expecting... To like have the rabbits be like, oi, vey. Oh, oh, <laughs> sorry. Oh, my goodness. All right. A slate roof tile shifts under Trippin's heavy steel sabaton, but they quickly correct, avoiding a cascade of tiles to the ground far below. Thirty feet above the courtyard, Trippin's heartbeat pounds erratically, their breath coming in sharp, shallow gulps. On the cobblestones below lies Kippen, the blue-clad, bookish high adjudicator. Her eyes are now closed, and there is a dark red, almost black sword protruding from her chest. Her breathing seems steady, but that sword will prove a problem. Better to leave it in for now, until I can get Kippen somewhere safe from these enemies, they think to themselves. Scattered around the courtyard, Kippen's attackers attempt to regroup in the wake of Trippin's furious onslaught. What a mess. It had all gone so wrong, almost from the start. The tall, red-haired woman with the axe in hand bore what they were after. Strapped to her back, the pommel of Adjudicator Rolf's sword appeared at her shoulder. It should have been so easy to retrieve, to take it off the corpses of these four unbelievers. The clash of bailiff and soldier could be heard in the background, but Kippen and Trippin focused completely on these four, the obvious champions of the opposing force. Trippin knew what was coming, an explosive wave from Kippen so powerful it would knock all four of these warriors to the ground, sucking them in towards a central point. Trippin had seen it enough times to know how devastating it could be. As Kippen readied herself for the opening salvo, Trippin could almost feel the hair on their arms rise with the potential energy waiting to be unleashed. A bugling call from their flank caused Trippin to turn just as a beautiful Aelaton came pounding out from behind the barracks of the castle. Its fur was an ombre of green to pink to purple, and the horn from its nose glistened with the sparkle of crystal. It charged Kippen, a trifling thing in reality, but a threat that she felt needed to be addressed. Trippin felt the energy of the spell dissipate as Kippen drew her fine longsword and cut down the animal with one slash. Battle had begun, and Kippen was soon surrounded. 
Now, mere moments later, Trippin crouches on the roof of Pabri Castle's Great Hall as their opponents devise plans to counter Trippin's tactics. Around them, the other battle rages as well. Lightning crackles as a bearded warrior takes down one bailiff, and a large man gores another as he charges across the battlefield. A third small man lays into bailiffs with an ornate mace, laughing as he swings. But that fight is not over either, as bailiffs swarm over constables and castle guards alike, hewing them down with sweeps of their greatswords alight with the flame of judgment. Trippin fears that their own battle has become a stalemate. Their opponents can't land a solid hit, and luckily all of the magical attempts to halt Trippin's movements have failed. But Trippin has failed to land any truly meaningful blows as well. Trippin's plans have changed. The sword of Adjudicator Rolf is now secondary to the urge, the need, to rescue Kippen from this unforeseen predicament. Trippin cannot imagine life without Kippen. Without her, Trippin would be nothing. Trippin has to get Kippen out of here, not only to save her life, but to save their own as well. Trippin readies themselves for the coming moments, knowing that they have one last trick up their sleeve. trick up their sleeve. I do take offense that no serious blows have been given since I'm literally about to die, but all right. (laughs) That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, I'm pretty close to dead too. Well, how many times have you been knocked unconscious? No, I didn't didn't go down, but I'm very, very, very close. Yeah. Okay. Me too. (laughs) All right. Well, here is where we are. We are in the courtyard of Tabri's castle. We have in the middle of the courtyard, we have Ebby standing kind of in the middle by the the well. We have a unicorn right in the smack dab in the middle of the courtyard. We have uh, Lord Radriel's companion, the handsome Squidward fey creature, um, standing a little bit north of the fallen body of Kippen, the high adjudicator in the blue robes with the spectacles on her face, who was taken down quite early in this battle. Pine is a little bit further to the east, and then way back, almost by the gatehouse, we have Nari and Roos and Squire. Trippin has been bouncing all around this battlefield, and you can tell by how spread out this battle is. If you look at one end, one um, corner, the southeast corner, we have Nari and Roos and and, uh, Squire. And at the very far northwest corner, we have Kennig's Estoc, all the way over there, pretty much out of the fight at this point in time. And this is where we are. The last thing that happened was Trippin jumped into the middle, took a slash at Roos and took a slash at Nari, missing both times, then teleported back up onto the roof of the Great Hall. And it is now Ebby's turn. Ebby, what are you going to do? You're right in the middle of the courtyard by the well. All right. Um, so here's what we're going to do. Ebby uh, is going to go ahead and drop concentration on Lord Radriel and say, Lord Radriel, your assistance is no longer needed. To which Lord Radriel will uh, reply, Ta-ta for now. Ooh. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then Ebby will go ahead and cast heat metal on uh, Trippin on their armor. Brutal. Okay. So what, do, what does Trippin need to do? Um, so there is no save for this. Um, it just says choose a manufactured metal object, such as a metal weapon or a suit of heavy or medium metal armor that you can see within range. Range is 60 feet. Um, any creature in physical contact with the object takes 2d8 fire damage when you cast the spell. Until the spell ends, I can use a bonus action on each of my subsequent turns to cause this damage again. 
If the creature is holding or wearing the object and takes the damage from it, the creature must succeed on a constitution saving throw or drop the object if it can. If it doesn't drop the object, it has disadvantage on attack rolls and ability checks until the start of your next turn. Nice. Okay. All right. Why don't you go ahead and roll your 2d8 damage? All right. Let's... No saving throw. Okay. So seven fire damage. Okay. You can see this dark armor with all these spikes. It's like a dark gray, spiky shoulder pads, a big fur cloak on it. You can actually see the armor start to brighten as it starts to turn a, a, a cherry red as it warms up around Trippin's body. Anything else Ebby's going to do? Uh, no, that is it for Ebby's turn. Okay. All right. That brings us now to Pine. Pine, you are also down by uh, Kippen's uh, downed body a little bit uh, further east of the unicorn. And you can see Trippin up on the Great Hall roof as well. Okay. So um, Pine will... It looks like uh, Nari's about 10 feet from him. So uh, Pine will move the 10 feet. He'll put his hand on Nari's shoulder and give her uh, 30 points of commander's morale. Oh, thank you. Ooh, nice. Um, and he'll say, come on, Nari, let's go back to back. And then he will move back over by Kippen. And he uses action to give the commander's morale so he can't really prepare an attack. But the idea here would be to kind of surround potential targets and, and ready attacks. Okay. Awesome. Very cool. Um, and for my bonus action, I'm going to move Kennick's S-Talk 20 feet closer. Okay. Perfect. And now it's kind of over uh, on the northwest corner of the well. So still far away from the action. But coming closer. Coming closer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's Pine's turn. Okay. Nari, you, probably feeling reinvigorated, are uh, are up. Yes, Nari is feeling so much better, um, and she is going to run and kind of meet Pine, like he said, sort of side to side, back to back. Um, and then she's going to ready an action. If Trippin gets anywhere near her, she is going to strike with her axe. Okay. Um, that brings us now back up to the top of the round. With Kippen's turn, which is she is um, she is stable with a cursed sword sticking out of her chest. And that brings us now to Roos. Roos is going to run to Kippen's side and Squire is going to follow him. So the two of them are going to stand over her body. Okay. Roos is going to put his hand on the hilt of the sword that's sticking into her and say, if you don't surrender, I will remove this sword and she will die. And that is my readied action. If they do not surrender, then Roos will remove the sword. <laughs> okay. Amarok's turn, and then it's Trippin's turn next. Um, I think... Um... I'm, I'm gonna have Amarok try to dash up and get as close to... to Trippin as possible. Okay. And then um, I, I don't. I think I think it'll probably because Trippin is, you know, some thirty feet above the ground on the top of the building. I'm guessing it will probably take a move and a dash to get all the way up there. Okay. Yeah, you're probably right. I think I'll just do that. Just get get Amarok up there. Okay. So Amarok is up on top of the Great Hall roof. It is now Trippin's turn. Trippin has disadvantage on all skill checks and attack rolls. 
Oh, golly. Trippin is feeling still relatively confident. Trippin is going to teleport to right over Kippen's body. So does that does that trigger my ready to action? That will trigger your ready to action. It will also trigger Roos's ready to action if he's going to pull the sword. Will Kippen still have to make death saves? So Kippen will have to start making death saves. It will it will count as basically it'll count as an attack because you're reopening the wound that had already been stabilized. So okay. we'll say that it's an automatic. We'll just say it's. It's hard to say. We'll say it's one automatic fail by pulling the sword out, and then she has to start making saves again. Okay. Yeah, so Roos will pull out the sword. Okay. All right, and Nari will hit for an 18 to hit. That will barely hit, I do believe. Nice. Okay. Yes. So that is a 15 damage, and I will make them uh, make a wisdom save. And I think it's DC 13. It is, yeah. They rolled a 12, which is with a plus seven, that's a 19. Okay. Plus seven wisdom save? That's... Uh, you guys are fighting a adjud- So here's the deal. Wow. When you guys fought Rolf, Rolf had been an adjudicator for like a day, basically. When you guys fought, um, fought Ulrich, I mean, he was pretty powerful, but he was fighting alongside kind of some scrubs. You and I are fighting um, an adjudicator, well, two adjudicators who have been adjudicators for years. They have been um, training and doing this job for a long time. These are these are tough people. All right. Well, I'm gonna come in again then for okay. a heck 17 to hit. I will definitely do a precision attack. Um, well, then that's gonna automatically hit. Sweet. Okay. 16 damage. Oh my gosh. Uh, and I will again try to make them do a uh, wisdom saving throw and have them. Uh, bow down. Uh, that's a 12 plus 7 is a 19. Same roll. <laughs> Eventually Heck. you'll roll a low number. Like, Eventually, <laughs> Eventually I will roll geez. a low number. Oh, okay. Alright. <laughs> um, here is what they are going to do. Uh, oh gosh. First off, let me make one check. Okay. Um, here comes an attack against Nari, that is going to be a 19 to hit. Yeah, that'll hit. Okay, that will be 2d6 plus 4d8 plus 5, which is going to be 29 damage. Man, that is not kind. And then, Nari, another swing at you. That is going to be, okay, that's only going to be a 12 to hit. That does not hit. Yeah, and uh, Trippin is going to uh, look around and is going to stay right where they are. Woo! All right. Ebby, it is your turn. All right. Um, let's, let's kick this thing off by doing the bonus action um kind of proccing the heat metal thing um, to kind of see what the damage will be. Okay. So, nine fire damage. And then with Ebby's action, I mean, he wants to just go hog wild and try to kill this guy more. But I think he's going to um, instead he's going to kind of move around 
over here to Nari and then do an Urdas's touch uh, with a second level spell slot on her. Touch me. <laughs> to heal her. Oh yeah, this was great. Uh, that's one of my best heals I think I've ever done in the game. So 19 points of healing for Nari. Oh wow. Oh man. And then everybody gets an extra five because of the totem. Oh nice. Oh my gosh. Well, okay. that's lovely. Feeling great. <laughs> ten out of ten. Oh man. Oh, we'll do again every time. <laughs> All right. All right, and that—that's it for Abby. Okay, fine. It is your turn. Okay. Well, I think actually that Kenig's S talk is exactly within range at this oh, point man. to come twenty feet in. Yep. And take a strike against uh, against Trippin. So let's see, an 18 to hit. That will hit. For eight force damage. Okay. And then Pine is gonna attack them twice with his officer's saber first is. Come on, Pine. It's an 11. <laughs> oh my oh. gosh. So just so everybody's aware, um, I get to add seven to my rolls. So when I keep rolling 11s and nines, that's twos and fours on the 20 sided oh die. Oh my gosh. Okay, second second chance. This is gonna happen this time. A 19 to hit. That Roll will 20 hit. just knows you're too powerful. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna do nine damage and I'm gonna say, unleash with precision, Swordmaster's Fury, and do an additional two swipes for an additional 10 damage. That's 19 damage total on that strike. Okay. Trippin is looking rough. Okay, okay. You see like a pauldron has come askew. The cape has been totally cut off. Uh, they are kind of staggering back. They're still standing over Kippen in a protective uh, position, but um, definitely leaning uh, down on, uh, you know, uh, on their knee as, as they are struggling under the weight of all these blows. Okay. <laughs> all right. So I guess it, it's leaving it up to Nari and Roos because that's my turn. Well, Nari, it is your turn. All right, Nari is going to come in, hopefully hard, with her axe. It'd be really nice if their own adjudicator's axe uh, killed him. For a 25 to hit. Oh, yes. And that is, oh my god. Okay, 12 damage. Um, and then I and am going to... How about uh, you tell me, tell me what happens? Oh, oh, nice. oh, oh that's so exciting. Oh, okay, so... Dari's going to use their own axe that uh, these people were so excited to get. And she is going to come in just with a huge swing and hit Trippin right across the face. And they are going to fall down dead. There is no, uh, no kindness. Okay. Trippin crumples to the ground dead. Armor glowing red still from Evie's spell. Anything else that Nari is going to do? You have now, you have Kippen bleeding out on the ground in front of you. Yeah, actually, Nari will finally um, get to use Lady Barbarelle's gift, like her stabilizing spell. And is that she an will... action or is it a bonus action? Oh, it is an action. Okay. I only did half of my action. <laughs> well, you can still <laughs> make another swing. <laughs> well, I'm not going to do that. Haul it off and swing it at Ebby. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, okay, Nari will, uh, sheathe her axe and, uh, just kind of stand back then. All right. That brings us now to Kippen's turn. Kippen is going to make a death saving throw 
a 15. That is a one failure and one success. Roos, it's your turn. Roos is going to uh, kneel down and restrain her and then pull Gigi out of his pocket with with, uh, a rope. Okay. Um, And pull Gigi out of his pocket and say, Gigi, give her one of your potions. And he's going to bring her back to life. Ooh. How many hit points are you going to give her? With six hit points. Her eyes flutter open. She is now bound. And we are going to end initiative. Cue victory music. I didn't think that was going to happen. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah, I thought that was going to be a lot more stressful. I've been thinking about it all week. Dude, me too. <laughs> well, there were two uh, options. I was peek behind the screen. There were two options. There was Trippin thought, and I thought Trippin could handle one round of, of attacks from you guys. I thought that they could handle it. Um, but no, they could not handle it at all. You guys whittled them down so fast from like 29 hit points gone all the way down to all hit points gone. Um, so uh, the next round would have been grabbing Kippen and casting Dimension Door. But that did not happen. Here we are in the middle of the courtyard of Tabri Castle. You can still hear some fighting going on around you as the guards and um, as the constables are fighting against the bailiffs. You can hear Brinby his roars as he comes charging across, hitting people with his maul. You can hear zapping of lightning and crashing of thunder, but you can also hear that that battle is also kind of tapering off as um, calls are made by uh, by the constables and the guards to surrender now or you'll die like your brethren. And uh, you hear the sound of swords being thrown down. And as you look around the courtyard, you can see that um, there are quite a few fallen constables and palace guards. You can see that Brinby and Briok and uh, Hebo all have blood on them in multiple places. And you can see dead bailiffs. And there are two bailiffs who have surrendered. All the rest of them lie in pools of their own blood. Are these the bailiffs that we captured before? These they got freed? <laughs> are they the exact same ones? As a matter of fact, it is. It's the only two named bailiffs that I have besides besides Bailiff Fern. That's fantastic. No, I'm just kidding. Um, sure, why not? It's the same bailiffs. Okay, you guys are standing here in the middle of the courtyard, and you can see Kippen is laying there struggling against her bonds, but she is also very fatigued. Um, she is. She has some levels of exhaustion at this point, um, and, uh, and she is lying there. What are you guys going to do? She is cursing your name. Uh, as as she struggles against the bonds. Ebby is going to kind of walk over and kind of leer over her. And uh, he, I mean, I think at this point, probably in the midst of all the action, the disguised self attribute that he was given as part of his kind of blessing from Lord Moshe um, has slipped. And he's just a deacon. You know, he just looks like an Ormec right now. And he's just glaring down at her and he's like, this usurper, this blasphemer against all of nature needs to be judged now. We should put her down once and for all. I think uh, Nari will kind of like put a hand over on Ebby and be like, I, I think this is something Queen Kira gets to decide, not not us. He he doesn't even respond. Ebby is just kind of like fuming, just staring at her like he wants to like 
call up a bonfire right under her body and have it be done right now. Nari kind of nudges Reese. Talk, talk to him. Reese will bend down and grab the book from her. Okay. And say, if there's something you want to burn, you could burn this, I guess. You see Kippen's eyes go wide and she says, no, no, you can't do that. You mustn't. Why? What's so important about this book? It is. It's my badge of office. Hmm. Without it, we can't make another adjudicator in my place. Oh, well, that seems great. Yeah, Ebby. <laughs> Utilize this. Ebby will hold it and he will say, let's chalk this up to just another adjudicator that we have put out of commission. And he'll stuff it into his into his satchel. OK, you're not going to burn it then? No, not right now. We are not pro-burning books in this podcast, no. just so you know. <laughs> Even no. though Ebby is starting to act a little bit like a fascist. <laughs> a little bit. He's kind of dipping his toe a little bit. It's a little scary. But he's also a hardcore opportunist. And so he's all like, I'm not going to burn this. I could sell this for lots of money. We can at least learn what it has to say. Is Trippin still sizzling or is uh, heat metal gone off? Uh, heat metal will have dropped at this point. Okay, uh, Pine will actually bend down and kind of just check over Trippin's body to see if they have any other weapons on them. I, honestly, I want to keep Kippen away from from Trippin in case there's anything that she could use to free herself. And I'll also collect Trippin's sword. Bruce is going to count on his fingers. One, two, three. I think that means we we're holding four open positions of adjudicators right now. She, her eyes kind of go wide again. She says, you, you, you have Ulrich's axe. And she well, looks we, around. We didn't go about trying to like collect adjudicators weapons. It just kind of happened. It's become a hobby of ours. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get matching tattoos of all the weapons. Come to think of it, I've seen, I've seen tattoos of the weapons before. <laughs> <laughs> Kippen, we, we've kept you alive so that you can face judgment. The judgment of a sovereign nation. Not one that's been unlawfully taken upon oneself like you tried to inflict upon our, on, on our nation. She does love judgment. She should be stoked about that. She, her jaw is set. She looks over at Trippin and uh, you can see uh, a tear in her eye as she looks back over at you and she says, you do not have authority to judge me. Um, as you are having this conversation, Kira um, Kira comes over to you. She's using her crutch. You can see, I forgot to describe her in the battle. She was fighting as well. Um, she is like cleaning off her rapier um, kind of on her on her uh, pants and putting it away as she comes over with her crutch. Um, and she says, so, so these are the adjudicators who came and caused so much trouble in my city. Pine's kind of pulling at his collar and is like, well, I mean, we did escalate things as well, but I won't say that out loud. (laughs) (sighs) I will have her locked up and we will try her and judge her the appropriate way. And then she calls over for uh, some of the constables who are um, still alive. She, uh, She waves them over and she says, take her to the oubliette. Drop her in. Put out the torches in the room. No light for her. I'd have her gagged as well, sister. Um, I don't want her to be able to cast any spells that just have a verbal element. She does seem very tricksy. Um, yeah, she's um, 
Is there, yeah, so she actually, um, Kira bends over and plucks these spectacles off of her face. All right. And then these two constables come over and they, they grab um, this adjudicator, this high adjudicator who has caused uh, some problems here in town. And they start dragging her out of the city. She is weak and she is struggling, but they have her under control. Um, I'm going to be show- honest. Nari is a little bit worried because she's really cute and she doesn't really want Kira around this person too much. <laughs> Man, stressing Legit. me out. You um you've known Kira long enough to recognize um that uh she is in um full on queen mode right now, um rage and anger and um but also like this very calculated precise coldness that you have seen before. Yes, um, queen. Yeah, right now. Just have you, wait. <laughs> have you ever has has that ever been projected at Nari? <laughs> that gaze. Uh, no, I do not think so. Not yet. Okay, okay. Just want to figure that'd be a fun thing to figure out. All right. Um, so Kippen is actually dragged out. Um, you can see um, that uh, Beatrice, the butler, she has now come out of the great hall. She is gathering some other servants to help with some of the wounded and uh, tend to wounds. Um, and uh, Brinby and Brioch and Hebo are also kind of uh, kind of helping out as much as they can. And the four of you with Squire and Kira are now here with a sexy unicorn standing right next to Trippin's dead body. Who grabbed the sword of Trippin? Pinded. Roos still has a Kippin sword. I gotcha. Man, these swords look suspicious. Evie, you should check them. I was going to say, I think I will go ahead and cast <laughs> Detect Magic right now for the heck of it. <laughs> All right. Well, that is probably for the best. Okay. Here is what you find. Um, as you are casting that spell and Kippen is being dragged away, you can see there is a glow coming from the glasses, the spectacles in Kira's hand. You can also see that the breastplate that um, that Kippen is wearing, it seems thin and it seems, um, uh, it seems too thin to be uh, effective armor, but you can see it glowing as uh, they kind of drag her away and it kind of gaps underneath, like as her robes kind of open, you can see the, the breastplate that she's wearing is glowing with some kind of magical potential, some kind of like abjuration magic, I think. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quickly yell out and be like, hold, she's got magical armor on. Um, you also see that um, Trippin, obviously Trippin's greatsword is magical as well. Um, and you can see that um, as far as Trippin is concerned, um, Trippin's armor looks very well made, um, but it does, not, um, it does not glow with that magical essence. Okay. What about Kippin's sword? Kippin's sword is not magical. Kippen's sword was just a very nicely made long sword, but Kippen's weapon, as you guys have already inferred, is the book and not the sword. Hence the tattoo of the book with the sword bookmark. Exactly. Okay. So are you going to take, uh, take Kippen's armor off of her? Um, yes. Yeah, we will do that. <laughs> All right. So the, the constables kind of hold her down as they strip this armor off of her. As they pull it off, it seems it's almost, I mean, it is definitely made of metal, but it's thin like a, like a, almost like a shirt, like a, like a solid shirt. It's not thick like you would expect a breastplate. And as it's pulled off, you can see that it's very, very shiny. Um, and you, it almost shines as much as, um, as Nari's armor does. You recognize Mithril, but this is also, um, also magical. Kira, shield your eyes. 
You don't want to see whatever's underneath there. Jeez. <laughs> the constables are very careful to keep her fully clothed and um and draped. I mean, this is this is a Super Nintendo era game. They're not going to show nudity. The triangle boobs or, yeah. or like cone boobs. <laughs> like super pixelated. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picturing the fairies from Ocarina of Time. Oh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with the laugh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> man. Ah, yes. Um, unnecessarily sexy, in my opinion. Um, oh, ridiculous. <laughs> I think that describes most video games. Unnecessarily uh, sexy. Yes, yes. All right, well, very good. So, so then um, that is dropped kind of at your feet, and then they drag, um, they drag Kippen off. And uh, Kira says, kind of under her breath, well, it seems we have one fire under control. Now to deal with the other that has been smoldering. Did so I want to go back to two episodes ago when Nari found out about uh, the Stone Horsemen some some rumors, right? About the other kingdoms um abdicating to Arkelvy. Did Nari, did you ever share that with the rest of us? Yeah, no, I definitely did. Um absolutely, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, just just a quick recap, um, in case you guys have forgotten, because it has been a little bit since we played since we talked about that. Um, what Nari had heard, and it was actually earlier today, um, is that um uh she learned this from the barkeep of the stone horsemen um in they're here in town, but that the uh the nation of Terran's protectorate, their high marshal had been killed in an attack, and that the protectorate had voted to ally with Arkelvy, become subject to them and become their own duchy. And now it is called Terran's duchy, subject to King Tenor of Arkelvy. So with that move, Arkelvy effectively almost tripled in size and their population um, uh, grew quite a bit, not doubled or anything, but it definitely grew quite a bit. Yeah, we, we cannot trust Arkelvy. No, I, I anticipate they were attempting the same thing here, but luckily, Bruce and Nari was here to, to save you. It was mostly Nari. I didn't do, I didn't do a ton. Nari, now's your chance. Kiss her. Don't be stupid. Kiss her. <laughs> what are you waiting for? Kira is pretending not to hear you, Pine. Because you're doing that thing like dad used to do. Yes. So here, real quick, we got to explain something to my dad. Love him to death. Oh, yeah. Um, sitting at a band concert in like seventh grade or whatever. My dad was there and he's sitting next to us in the bleachers and he says, Hey, what about that girl down there? She's pretty cute. And we're like, dad, she can hear you. And he's like, no, she can't. And then you see the girl kind of look back over her shoulder and it's like, thanks, dad. <laughs> like that's, that's kind of how I picture Pine. That's what's happening with Pine and Kira and Nari at this point. That's it's fantastic. Like that, that TikTok sound where it's like, why don't you just call Taylor up? Why don't you just <laughs> call Taylor up and ask her? <laughs> oh, man. All right. So Kira, um, Kira says, why don't you all clean up and uh, rest up and then come back to the castle and we will discuss what to do with Arkelvy. And then uh, she looks at you, Roos, and she says, unless, of course, you're leaving again. Well, I, I think that's the plan. But we'll talk about it. Um, let me get cleaned up and, and we'll discuss it. She puts her hand on your shoulder, Roos, and she says, if nothing else, I would appreciate your wisdom and your insight before you leave. <laughs> well, uh, it's funny describing me with those words, <laughs> but I'll, I'll give you what I do think about the situation. But yeah, I, I do think I will be leaving soon. Okay. All right. I want everyone to make perception checks. Do we 
Sorry, I don't I don't remember. Where did we leave the ambassador of Arkovi exactly? The ambassador of Arkovi was at the gatehouse um, a few episodes ago, trying to get in to, quote, like, give condolences to Kira or whatever, to make sure she was okay. Um, and then when the castle guards let you in and did not let him in, then um, he went off in a huff. Now, um, that was... That was actually yesterday. Then that last night, Nara, you had gone to the Stone Horsemen and you had found out that they were still staying there um, and uh, you were talking with the barkeep there. So as far as you know, they're at the Stone Horsemen. This is like, like I don't know, probably 10 o'clock in the morning at this point. Gotcha. Okay. So maybe, maybe heading over to the Stone Horsemen might be the move. If you guys are ready for another fight, <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it it might be the move. But again, we'd want to we'd want to consult with Kira. It sounded like she needed a, a little bit of time, and I'd, honestly, I think that we could use a little time as well. A little sneeze. Yes, like just like an hour. <laughs> Clean up. I'd love some time to look over Kippen's book here. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in uh, in Trippin's sword, and maybe look over this. Yeah, I was gonna say, and maybe look over and. Ebby will kick the corpse of Trippin laying on the ground. Look over this one's armor a little bit. Looks pretty neat. Actually, that's why I made, had you make perception checks. And Ebby, it looks like you scored a natural 20 on your perception. I did. Um, I, yeah, I yeah. got a natural 20 for a 25. I got a 7. Well, as you... <laughs> okay. As you kick the body of Trippin, um, your foot hits the armor. And you can tell this is like a dark, like a dark gray, smoky kind of intricate and well-made armor. But as you kick it, you can tell this is not steel. Um, And you instantly know with your natural 20, this is actually adamantine. Whoa. This is adamantine plate armor. My goodness. And so in in game rules, adamantine, it doesn't increase the effectiveness of the armor. It just means that you cannot be crit on if you're wearing that armor. Technically, that's what Pine's Pine's armor, his Menary's officer's um, jacket, is an adamantine breastplate. Would have been really cool if we had a crit at all to know that, but alas. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All right. Yes, it's very nice. I bet it sells for a lot of money. I wonder if we could get it resized to fit Nari. Ooh. I would look pretty good in that. You'd look hella tight. Wearing an adjudicator's armor and carrying an adjudicator's axe. And sword, apparently, too. Why not? When we get it resized, maybe we could get it, you know, just alter the look a little bit, like we did with the axe and and everything. I'm thinking... If we want to become evil, we could just be our own gang of adjudicators. (gasps) (laughs) It's what we've been gearing up for this whole time. (laughs) I'm just throwing ideas out there. I was thinking we could cut the armor in half and I could go for another piece of half plate. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if nothing else, we need to get these weapons someplace safe because I doubt that Trippin and Kippen were the only ones seeking them. If there's other adjudicators still alive, I'm sure that they wouldn't mind having their hands on them too, even if they're not as searching as actively for them. That's a very valid point. I would I would recommend we stay here as opposed to uh, over at the keggery. Right. And I'm also thinking maybe one of our next steps should be if we could visit that um that master blacksmith up in the uh, up in the mountains, the the tall heart fella. Maybe he could uh, alter the look a little bit for us. 
See if he can help us make better use of these, because, I mean, now at this point, we have two adjudicator greatswords. And I don't think any of us are really keen to start using a greatsword. <laughs> it's a bit heavy for me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, Kira can definitely get you some rooms here at the castle if that's what you want to do. That is not a problem. Um, and you guys can like take a, a rest or you guys can go, uh, you know, kind of wherever you wherever you want to. But Kippen is being taken away. And then um, some of the other constables and servants are coming to grab Trippin's body to take it away as well. Are you going to take the armor off of Trippin's body before they do? I mean, I think we should. Yeah. Okay. As you're doing it, you're all like, finders keepers. That's the rule. Um, <laughs> I thought it was killers keepers. Again, okay. again, Pine is trying to be a little bit reverent with it. So like, you know, here was a, you know, a, a, a fierce combatant, an opponent, but uh, <laughs> at least some respect in death as we strip them completely naked. I'm, I'm yeah. picturing you reverently standing there as we're just like, just rummaging horrifically <laughs> over this corpse. Yeah. Like just tearing things off, whipping things Throwing, over our shoulders. Stuffing like, oh, it full of rocks is... again. Why not? <laughs> I, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking back to Adjudicator Ulrich where it's like taking off his magical armor and then you're like, let's take his helmet too. And we're like, no, no, let's leave him some dignity. And and then I just pictured this big giant naked dude laying on the ground dead with a horned helmet covering his junk. <laughs> <laughs> See? Dignified. That was going to be my not, question. Or not. So you're going to take Trippin's armor. What about Trippin's helmet? Uh, yes. You are going to take Trippin's helmet as well. Okay. I will say this. With plate armor, um, stat-wise, the helmet has to be used with the plate to get the full effect, if that makes any sense. I'm going to yeah. be a butt about it. Okay. You start stripping uh, Trippin of their armor. Um, as you strip Trippin of their armor. Wait, we're stripping Trippin? You're stripping Trippin. Nice. Um, as you are stripping, tripping, you actually um, see that the skin is like pink and blistered from the heat metal spell. Um, and as you uh, remove the helmet, uh, you see a face, um, short hair, um, shorn. Um, you can see um, lifeless eyes and you see a face that is very similar to Kippen's. A little bit thicker jaw. The hair is different, obviously. The facial structure is a little bit different, but definitely resembles Kippen quite a bit. Hmm. Um, Perhaps they were siblings. Like siblings? Yeah. Okay. All right. You guys, um, they they take Trippin's body away, and you now have this adamantine plate. You have this gleaming um, mithril breastplate of some kind, um, and you have um, a magical greatsword and a book. You guys, uh, are you guys going to go take a rest? Yeah, I don't think I need a room, though. I think I'm just going to kind of sit in the audience chambers. Okay. And if it's cool with everybody, if it's cool with everybody, I'd like to look over this sword, try to gather some of its um, properties. And I don't think we've ever done that with Rolf's sword, either, if somebody wants to take a look at Rolf's. Yes, I, I could. I can do that, actually. I'd, I'd accompany you as well, Pine. Okay. I'll be along shortly. I, uh, I've got something I want to do in town. Nari wants to take a rest. She is she is not feeling as good as she could be. So, like, she will definitely take that room and take a little snooze. All right, you can actually, if you want to, you can you can take uh, one of these other magical things and like the 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 breastplate. You can examine that while you while you get your short rest. That should be fine. Okay, then yeah, definitely, I will do that. All right, sounds good. All right, um, Pine and Ebby and Nari, you kind of uh, you you kind of go your separate ways. Ebby and Pine, you go you go into the into the great hall. And you um, you kind of sit in one of the in this big large open area. 
Pine and Ebby, you will be spending this time as you rest looking at this weapon, uh, these two weapons. Um, who has a uh, Trippin's sword and who has a uh, Rolf's sword? Pine has Trippin's sword. Okay, very good. All right. And then, um, Nari, you have the breastplate. And then, let's see, Roos, what are you going to do in town as you um, make your way out of the castle? The guards at the castle gate, they open the gate for you, um, and they salute you as you walk by. Some of them are still kind of bloodied from the battle, um, but these are definitely two that, uh, the two guards here at the uh, at the gatehouse, these are two that managed to make it through the battle with the bailiffs relatively unscathed. Roos will salute them and uh, walk, you know, just keep walking past. Um, He's feeling very um, conflicted, and he's going to go to the temple. The healing god? Yeah. Now, this is a question for you as the DM, Paul. Is yes. Are there any priests in Tabory? Priests of Erdos? Or the, healing, the Lord of Healing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, there are, as a matter of fact. There was one who helped um, way back at the uh, hanging in, in Tabory Gallows. Um, that's, so that's where Roos is headed. Okay. So um, if you look at the map of Tabri, there is a shrine to Erdos that is um, down in the south uh, west corner. Um, and it is relatively small. You guys have been in a temple of Erdos in the city of Arkelvi. This is basically the same uh, floor plan, only like scaled down one size. Uh, you enter through one door. Um, and, um, uh, as you go through, uh, the center of the temple, it's like there's statues of Erdos in the temple. And then there's these little rooms or alcoves on either side with curtained openings so that the patients who are in those beds healing and being healed, they can look out and see a statue or a representation of Erdos wherever they are in the building. And then there is an exit on the opposite end of the, the building. There's also one extra large, um, statue of Erdos there in the center of the building. And you have met the priest uh, of Erdos before um, because at the Tabri Gallows, she actually healed one of you before she went off to go and help um, help with the villagers who were, or the, the townsfolk who were, who were rioting. Um, and as you go into the shrine, you can see um, the lights are kind of low. You can smell the smell of incense. You see these statues of Erdos as, they, as you go down kind of the nave of this temple, um, these smaller statues. And in the middle, there is a larger statue of Erdos. And I'm pretty sure that the statue has like flame in one hand, like the healing flame of Erdos. Um, and you hear some coughing and some just kind of general moans and that kind of thing from a few people who are here in the shrine. But you do see the priest who, I don't know if you've met her since then, but her name is Lita and she is in the center of the temple or of the shrine by the large statue of Eros. The Roos will uh, walk up to her and say, it's been a while, but uh, it's good to see you again, priest. She looks at you, she, she bows and she says, I'm not sure what to call you anymore, but it is an honor to have you here in the shrine of Erdos. Are you in need <laughs> of healing? I, I am in need of healing and you can just call me Roos. I'm just Roos. Um, okay. Yeah, it's it says just Roos right here. I've got it. <laughs> and she says she's embroidered on my shirt. <laughs> on your on your vest. That's right. <laughs> she says, and you can call me Lita. Okay. Um Lita, I I need to be rid of these swords. And I've been cursed. I thought I would be able to, to make it through and 
and fulfill this promise that I made, but I, I can't. I can't do it. I can't do it that way. Are you, like, holding them out? Or are they still at your waist? Or what are They're you, what sheathed are you right now. They're sheathed? Um, she looks at them, and she kind of looks at you, gives you a little, like, a little questioning nod as she kind of starts reaching towards them, like, are you okay if I touch these? Yeah. Yeah, you can touch them. She reaches towards the one on your right hip, and her hand gets about two inches away from the handle, and you can see her close her eyes, and suddenly <laughs> she pulls her hand back as if she's been burnt. And she says, that, that is a powerful curse. Yeah, tell me about it. She says, I, it is, it's beyond my ability to heal. There are those of my order who serve Lord Erdos that can remove this curse, but I'm afraid, I'm afraid I, I am not powerful enough. Okay. But, yes, I think it very wise for you to rid yourself of these, these foul implements of yeah. fiendishness. I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> since you didn't heal me, do I go out that exit or the one back there? She actually puts her hand on your, on your shoulder and then she's going to heal you of some of your damage. She's going <laughs> to heal you for, um, actually she does, uh, she does 13 plus three. She has 16, um, healing to you. Oh, cool. That's great. You get a message from, uh, from Pine through, through Squire. Cause we're still kind of <laughs> connected. It's like, if, if you're at the temple of Erdos, can you pick up some more of that, uh, prostate medication oh, that yeah. I got in Arkelvy? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, oh, and, uh, Lita, while I'm here, um, my friend, uh, Mr. Pine, he, he says there's a cream that, that you give him. It's for a friend. It's it, for a friend. <laughs> she she reaches it. She reaches into like, because the, the statue of Erdos, that big one, is kind of built up on this, uh, basically like an, an uh, for lack of a, better, of a better term, it's it's built on top of like an apothecary's shelf that's made out of stone, like, a, you know, the apothecary uh, cabinet. She reaches into one of the alcoves and she pulls out this little ointment and she hands it to you and she says, I can't tell you who this is for because of HIPAA guidelines, but uh, but here you go. Make sure your friend gets it. <laughs> lady HIPAA being the lady of um, privacy in medical issues. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The medical privacy. Exactly. Ah, uh, lady HIPAA. Hmm. Okay. Um, yes. Yeah, so this, and then she kind of motions you out. She says, "I am. I'm very sorry, Ruth, that I could not be of greater help. I'm sure that there are those in larger temples that." would be able to help you more than I can. Okay. Well, sometimes... It is the temple size that matters. <laughs> well, and actually, so here's the deal. Here in, in Tabri, Tabri is not a large city. This is just a shrine to Erdos, not a full-blown temple. And behind the screen, the only servant of Erdos here in town who actually has the ability to do any kind of healing is Lita. The other people who work here and who help out, these other acolytes of Erdos, are just lay people who help with medicines and you know um, yeah. splints and that kind of thing. Well, it's it's a level three spell to remove curse. Yeah, um, we'll say it's a level three spell for the majority of curses. Yes. Okay. <laughs> this is this is it's just a heads up. This was a this was a deity's swords that you took, and not just one of them, but two of them. So anyway. yeah, yeah. 
It's all good. Roos is impulsive. <laughs> no. All right. Um, very good. So, Roos, you're going to start heading back towards the castle? Yeah. Okay. So, Pine, you have in your hand this greatsword, and as you are holding it, um, you get the impression that Trippin's greatsword is what this weapon is called. It is a greatsword. Um, you do get a plus one bonus to attack and damage with this magic weapon. Additionally, on each of your turns, you can do one of the following things that you never got to see because Trippin was always acting independently because Kippen went down so fast. Okay. Number one, if you choose to, immediately after you use the attack action with your sword, you can make one creature within 60 feet of you use their reaction to make one weapon attack. Oh. Okay, so that's not like use the attack action, but that's one attack. Okay. Or okay, is that is that unlimited times? That's unlimited times. Okay. You have to use the, if you yeah. attack with the weapon, you can then as, um, you can then um, enable one creature. This is not a bonus action or anything. You can just say, you can use your reaction right now to make one swing. Okay. okay. If you are, have that sword and you are attuned to it and you take the dash action, you can look at somebody within 60 feet of you and you can say, you can use your reaction to dash. And the same thing with the dodge action. If you take the dodge, dodge action, somebody within 60 feet of you can use their reaction to dodge as well. Oh, man. Um, Ebby, as you hold Rolf's greatsword in your hands, you I think you feel a special kinship with this blade. Ebby, this sword that you're holding, um, you have a sense of, of uh, anger and uh, uh, brashness and flame and uh, aggressiveness, and you are holding in your hands a flame-tongue greatsword. Oh, if only Ebby used great swords. Oh, that sounds lit. So the flame tongue great sword is is um is it's amazing. It is not a plus one weapon, so it's just a normal to hit. But you can um as a bonus action, you can speak the command word to make it erupt in flames, and then um, it lights up a forty foot radius around you. Um, and also when you hit with it, when it is on fire, you deal an extra 2d6 fire damage, um, and then the flames will last on the sword until you use a bonus action to either turn it off, or if you drop the sword, or you put it in its sheath. Ooh, I bet Nari will like this. I didn't know she smoked. That's a huge lighter. <laughs> <laughs> I smoke. I haven't had a cigar in years, though. Most because Matt <laughs> forgot that that was part of my character. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Um, and... And Nari, as you are kind of taking a rest, chilling, get your feet up, and you're holding this breastplate in your hand, you're kind of examining it, looking it over, um, seeing if it would work for you. Um, you definitely can tell that this is mithril. It's it's very, very light. Um, you could probably wear it underneath clothing. Um, and it is also magical. You are holding a plus one mithril breastplate. A mithril breastplate that also adds plus one to your AC. Nice. I, I do love me some mithril uh, armor. That, that seems like a great thing. I think Nari will actually just slip that on for fit. <laughs> All right. So we'll have to look up the stats for that um, and see how it affects your character. Um, the other thing that happens as, uh, as you guys are sitting here um, resting and trying to kind of like gather your thoughts before um, everything kind of goes crazy again, as it always does when you guys are together, um, Ebby. Yes. You are pondering this sword. And just as you kind of get the idea of what it is, 
um, you hear a voice, a voice in your head that you have not heard for a long time. In fact, I think, I think the only time we talked about this a little bit out of, out of game, I think the only time you've heard this voice in the last five years has been an occasional sobbing or muttering, but nothing intelligible. You hear Neam's voice. You put too much faith in him, you know. What? Arnium? Is that you? You cannot trust like you do. What? Trust who? Trust... Trust Pine? Roos? Moshe. Moshe and his pet fox, Amarok. What? Ebby kind of looks over to Amarok, who is, I think, just curled up in the corner for the moment. And, and Amarok has no clue that this is going on right now. Yeah. What do you mean I can't trust them? I, too, put my faith in the divine, in the unbelievably powerful beings that sometimes call Pavanta's home. Alas, it was all for naught. Moshe's inspiration brought about the crystal engine, but Moshe's touch tainted it. Of, of course it would. He exemplifies growth. I was a fool to believe anything touched by him would ever stop growing. Life unrestrained becomes cancer. I should have foreseen that possibility. Hmm. I mean, I can feel that he's grown wild, more wild than he was before. But to imply that I can't trust him, I mean, he trusted me. He's tasked me with this. He trusted me as well. You are not Moshe's first avatar. I think that revelation, I don't know that Abby would know like or have words to respond to that. But I think he, he would immediately be like, that's true. And at the same time, it kind of floors him a little bit of like, huh, what happened to the others? Neam goes on. Your efforts to wake up our people have been valiant, and I commend you. But I fear now it is a lost cause. You awaken them into a doomed world. You introduce them back into some semblance of life that will all too soon be cut short. Is that cruel? Is it better to let them sleep on? No. No, I feel... I feel that it is not cruel to have them experience life, what little it may even be. I know the odds are against us, but I don't know... I don't know what odds there are that we may be able to succeed and bring some semblance of balance back to this world. Neam, if there is a way, if there is a way that it can be done, will you help me? Neam responds to you and answers your question, but you get the impression that Neam is again talking to himself. So my attempts to save Pavantis didn't work, but like all good researchers, I must learn from my failed experiments. So the question is not if the inevitable was delayed, but why it was delayed. Was it the crystal engine and its bandage? Or was it something else? Hmm. Things kind of get quiet for a second. Abby? Yes? Though it frightens me to say it, I think I figured out who you are. Who am I? 
no response. Neum. Neum. Are you calling out loud or is this all in your in your mind? Just in my mind. Okay. You can feel a presence. A presence that I think you felt it more um, back when you were adventuring with the group before, when Neum would talk to you randomly, that you've kind of learned to be without over the last five years. And suddenly now that Neum has spoken to you again, you feel it again. You feel this presence in the back of your brain. Not powerful, not strong, not even, I mean, aware or conscious, but you feel that there is that, that feeling in the back of your brain, back of your mind, that Neum is with you. Okay, and the short rest ends and you are all in the castle of Tabri. And you know that Kira would like to speak with you all before you do whatever it is you're gonna do. I think this sword would be amazing for me if it would just light her a little bit more uh, quick. Because it's like, it's like the perfect like commander's sword. If I, if I had this sword, I would rename it. I would rename it the Menarest Lieutenant General's Saber, level three. <laughs> <laughs> well, perhaps it merits a trip up into the uh, up into the mountains to see the Smith in the Tallheart camp again. I wonder if he could do that. I mean, before it was just kind of the work he did was kind of combining two like weapons. This would be, you know, hogging off a lot of material. <laughs> he does seem very talented. I, I, I imagine yeah. he could uh, perform such a feat. On our way there, do you guys mind if we stop by Arkelvy for a minute? I would like to go to the temple there. I think we need to stop by Arkelvy and uh, see what's going on there in general. <laughs> Speaking of. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go discuss what's to be done with this delegation. These opportunists, false flag raisers. You go into the Great Hall. You can see that Kira is um, sitting in the throne of uh, Tabri's castle, not her small hall that you've been in before. This is the actual, the official um, Great Hall where delegations would meet. Um, you can see that uh, Beatrice is standing at her shoulder. You can see that she has guards along the wall. You can see that Hebo and uh, Brinby, as well as Briok are there. You can see that Angus is there as well. And um, Kira, as you walk in, she motions you forward and has you uh, gather in some stools there in front of the throne for you guys to sit and have a council. Kira starts by saying, it goes without saying that I appreciate all you have done for Tabori to get rid of this adjudicator and bailiff problem that had beset us of late. And for all of your help in, in all that you've done so far in dealing with Arkelvi, as well as protecting my life from those cultists, I, I feel I owe you more than I can ever say. And then she looks over at one of the guards and she nods as um, he opens up a door on the eastern wall and he says something to somebody on the other side and then in from uh, that other door, you see two servants come in, carrying
carrying a very large chest. Um, Roos, between you and me, having been the king, you know that Tabori is not a wealthy country. Okay. <laughs> they bring this chest in and they set it down in front of you. And Kira says, I feel I owe you for saving Tabri, and this is this is all I can offer. And then she opens the chest and inside it is full of gold and platinum. Tabri is our home. Uh, I don't think any of us require any payment for for protecting what we hold dear. As you slip the uh, plus one mithril breastplate kind of behind your back, you're like, but we'll keep this. <laughs> I, I mean, finders keepers, dead right, people right. losers. <laughs> Kira, to be honest, I mean, we've, if simply the spoils of this last battle would be plenty for us and not even all of them. We um, procured a lot of armaments from the battle at the Kegari that I'm sure that the city could make use of. Um, we have armaments of the adjudicatorium that are of great value, and we would take them from your city so that they'd no longer attract potential uh, threats or attacks from other adjudicators or other bailiffs. That's payment enough. Uh, use this money and use the other resources that have, that have been gained over the past couple of days to, to rebuild, to, to pay for more like Hebo and Brinby and... Banaka, what's your name? Briok, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Briok. Sorry, I'm so sorry, Briok. I just, I've called you the little, the little lightning sword guy for so long. Um, <laughs> but pay for more trusted soldiers like them. My daughter will return, and with her, some air support. Well, your daughter, your daughter's actually still here in the river. Right. Well, she's gonna wait for them, and then she'll leave, and. But she will come to you. She's going to be waiting a long time if she's waiting for them. (laughs) She will come to you, though. And you have first dibs on her service. She's an amazing um, airship captain, and her ship looks to have been one of the the battle fleet of the Empire. Use this money to procure her services as well. She says, "Your, your words are wise. I appreciate your integrity. And then she closes the chest and she motions to the servants and they come and pick up the chest and they take it away. Sounds a little bit like nepotism, IMHO, but you know. (laughs) Have you ever, have you ever met a better airship captain than her? Come on, come on. You were pretty good when you were piloting for us. I couldn't have landed on the river, come on. (laughs) Yes, it was very, very impressive. She is very skilled, but can she be trusted? I mean, I know that she's your daughter, Pine. I just... I don't know if I can fully accept that she's will tr- is trustworthy in this way. She doesn't seem dedicated to the cause necessarily, but she seems very, very trustworthy to those who she sells her services to. She will be dedicated to the contract. Of that, I am certain. Sis, I got one recommendation for you too. Like Mr. Pine was saying, you should bring on these three gentlemen, but not only that, knight them, create some order within the kingdom where these are the exemplar heroes and that, are, that the rest of the uh, the town look up to. Give them command over units. You can really build a prestigious thing under these three guys. 
And Brinby, I know that you've kind of been there, done that here in Arkelby, but obviously, look how exciting it's gotten over the past few years. I mean, you wouldn't be bored here. Yeah, Brinby nods. He says, yes, I mean, things have definitely gotten more exciting over the last couple of days. And uh, if things are brewing with Arkelby, I think that our queen will need as many hands on deck as she can. And he looks to Kira and she smiles at him as they have been allies in the past. And Hebo nods in agreement and doesn't say anything. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he has talked in the past. I just can't remember his voice. I think he's just kind of like gruff like this. Anyway, uh, and then... Uh, so he's like, he takes a bite out of crime. Well, he takes McGruff. a bite out of crime. Yeah, he's like, that's McGruff. McGruff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he was like, yeah, I can, I can stay on. You know, I, I, can, I can help out here for a little longer. I mean, Kira's a, an old, an old uh, companion in arms. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll help out too. And then uh, Briok just kind of nods. And uh, he says, it would be interesting to lead forces again. And he leaves it at that. Hmm. Well, I think maybe, Kira, you may have a marshal and a couple lieutenant generals here if you you were so inclined. I shall think on it. And nothing would help us more than upping the stats of the city guard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, they need you to be better than CR 1 4. Yeah. <laughs> when I come back, I expect them to be challenge rating three veterans or knights. Yes. So Kira says. What would you recommend I do about Ambassador Miro and his contingent here in town? You are you are convinced that it was Arkel V that sent the attackers upon me? Well, I think open hostilities might not be the best thing. Um, so I don't know if you move against them or not, but I don't think you have to accommodate them either. As I travel to Arkel V, I'm going to stop by every single tavern and I'm going to start spreading the rumor that the king of Arkervi had the other kingdom's throne murdered. And that's how he took over. So I'm going to start spreading that rumor, regardless if it's true or not. And I can write tracts. <laughs> yes. Ooh, we're good at those. <laughs> I mean, you're good at those. I can't, I, I don't even know how to write a tract like that. Oh, Ebby, you did a great job. <laughs> Shut up. Oh. <laughs> Shut up, you. <laughs> Shut up. Pine wouldn't have made it very far without his Ebby. <gasps> that was supposed to be Frodo and Sam, but... Yes, <laughs> yes, I got that. Aww. My heart melted. Yes. <laughs> so, Kira asks, she says, so you're going to Arkelby? That's your plan? Well, we haven't... We've just kind of thrown around some ideas. Yeah. I think first... I mean, if we were to lay out our, our plans, I think first we go and we see about collecting the illegal eagles. Illegal, illegal. <laughs> yeah, illegal, illegal, illegal. You know, it probably is time for me to go back to the to the Kilava and see the people as well. I'm sure they'd love to see you. You're the great liberator. I don't know about that. But I do feel like it's been far too long, and I owe it to them to at least check in. And then if we could take the airship, we had, again, potentially stops along the way to Arkelvi. We were hoping to see a master smith that we knew of in the in the Glass Mountains about doing something with these weapons to make them less recognizable and potentially more usable for us. 
Yeah, his name was Darden. I just remembered it. Darden. Darden the Black. Darden. Yes, that's right. Darden. I remember saying that I would never forget his name, and it just <laughs> came back to me. Darden. <laughs> so, see your people, she nods at Ebby, and then head into the mountains, and then to Arkovi. That's... That is your plan. I... You can see her shoulders kind of slump a little bit. She says, I... I will miss all of you. And she looks at each of you in turn. And anyone who wants to make an insight or perception check can make that insight or perception check. Pine rolled an eight. She will miss your guidance. Oh. Zari rolled a 10, so she's going to assume that she's just going to miss me the most. <laughs> Roos got a 26. Ebby, uh, you rolled a 24 for insight. Okay. Roos and Ebby, you... Nari's right. As Kira looks at each of you in turn, you see the respect she has for Pine as a as a leader and as an ambassador. She sees the love. You see the love that she has for Roos, her brother. Even, even though it's more uh, cousin, I think, actually, but raised as a brother. You see the love that has developed between the two of you when you guys had a pretty rough relationship at the start of this campaign. You can see... <laughs> You can see the respect she has for Ebby for all that she, all that Ebby has done for um, for the Ormax, for the Deacons, for freeing them, and you see that her gaze lingers on Nari a little bit longer than everybody else. And um, Kira says, "Well, I, I wish you a safe journey." And she looks at you, Nari, and she says, "And I would appreciate if there's anything that you can do." to help me with Arkovi, or if there's anything that I can do to help you, that you call me. And she kind of reaches her hand kind of inside of her jacket and just pats her chest. And you know that she's got that sending stone up there against her heart. I will always be in touch. And that is where we're going to leave it for tonight. The knock on the solar door rouses King Tenor from his thoughts. Enter, he calls as he shifts his weight on the soft upholstered sofa. The dark wood door opens to reveal a thin young woman in the livery of Arkelvy, a white unicorn rampant upon a royal purple doublet. The young page bows formally toward her king and, without rising from the bow, says in a timid voice, Your grace, the chamberlain has asked to see you on a matter of great import. Shall I show her in? Yes, yes, Tenor says, hastily rising to his feet. The page turns her back to her king before rising from her bow and quickly scurries back toward the door through which she entered. King Tenor, monarch of the kingdom of Arkelvy and all of its holdings, including the newly acquired Terran's duchy, begins to anxiously pace as he waits for his chamberlain to deliver the news for which he has so desperately waited. A moment later, a tall, thin, pale-skinned woman enters the solar, shutting the door behind her. Your grace, she says in a raspy, hoarse voice, bowing her head. I received a sending from Ambassador Miro's retinue about the situation in Tabori. Come, come, out with it, he urges. He turns and walks to a cabinet along the richly adorned wood-trimmed wall here in his private suites in Mason's Keep. He opens the door, pulling out a decanter with a dark brown liquid inside. He follows that up with two glasses before closing the cabinet. As he pours two drinks, the Chamberlain makes her report. The False Queen is a stubborn one, Your Grace. I fear we underestimated her, as we did Vonette in Wayfield. The attack was thwarted, it would seem. Okay, okay, King Tenor prods impatiently. We have contingencies for this sort of thing. 
Yes, your grace, we do. The Chamberlain pauses. Two problems have arisen. First, Ambassador Miro has not been granted any kind of audience with this Kira who calls herself Queen, in spite of his best attempts. He has been shut out completely, not even allowed to offer condolences for the attack, nor to suggest a concerted effort with our kingdom to root out the nefarious cult that sought her life. At this, King Tenor grunts. We spent a lot of money to get our hands on that Thu, Chamberlain, Tenor replies angrily. The plan was, should they succeed in killing the queen, we offer to take whichever leadership remains in place under our wing and root out the cult of inevitability, as we did in Terran's protectorate. Should they fail to kill her, we impress upon the queen the need to work together to root out the cult, again offering our strength for a foothold in their territory. Tenor gulps down the drink in one quick swallow. But now you're telling me that not only did this expensive, risky plan only work once and not thrice as you claimed it would, but that our ambassador has been shut out again? Tenor's voice rises as the anger takes hold. Do they think we are a joke? The Chamberlain averts her gaze down toward the floor as the king's angry words wash over her. She does not shrink from his tone, having grown accustomed to his fits of rage. Instead, she waits for him to go quiet before she walks over to the cabinet and grabs the second glass poured by the king. She too drinks it down in one quick motion. Your grace, she says after finishing her drink. That was only the first problem. The second is potentially worse. There was a survivor taken into custody. Someone survived the Thu? The king asks incredulously. No, she replies. It seems he never took it. He backed out. They may be able to trace him to Silas and from Silas to me. And if they can trace it to me, they will trace it to me. King Tenor finishes. Just so, your grace. Tenor is silent for a moment, chewing his lip. Then, having reached a decision, he pours two more drinks, handing the Chamberlain's glass back to her. Spread the word around the city, into Terran's duchy and beyond. Let it be known that I, too, was the target of one of these cult attacks, but was saved by the bravery of my personal bodyguards. Let it be known from here to Tabri and beyond that we have traced the orders given to these cultists back to Tabri and their false queen. She orchestrated these attacks to weaken the former Arkelvi province so that she might take control while the other countries try and recover from these attacks. He looks the Chamberlain in the eye as he states emphatically, Let it be known that we will not stand for this underhanded attempt to destroy our sovereignty, and we will meet this attack with force. He drains his cup once more. Let it be known that the kingdom of Arkelvi declares war on Tabri's treacherous queen. The Chamberlain drains her glass as well. It will be as you say, Your Grace. Ooh. <laughs> okay, you guys. Hey, what a great episode. Um, I just want to let everybody who's listening know that we have now at this point reached level nine. Woo! All right. So next time we get, oh my gosh, spring break. Yes. So next time we get together, um, we will be doing actually um, a little in between chapters thing that we have done in the past. And then the week afterwards, we will be starting up in chapter six of the Crystal Codex campaign. So uh, if you like what we're doing, tweet or whatever people are doing these days i don't even know tiktok about it i, I guess people are doing the tiktok thing um, <laughs> yeah. talk about it yeah go, go ahead and tiktok I about the campaign it. yeah um and until we see you next time we hope you have a great time throw it on your myspace 
Oh my god, yes! <laughs> <laughs> Produces oh, one of man. your BFFs. That's right, top oh. eight. <laughs> oh, man. Oh.